Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. First of all, I believe it start where you're at, right? Mm -hmm. You, you know, I have students who have budgets of two hundred thousand and others who have budgets of two point two million. What well, if you have a budget of two point two million? Let's explore some things. Right? Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I am so excited to have you here today, and I'm excited to have my guest on talking about short-term rentals, something that is actually pretty hot right now in the real estate world. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are either uh, starting that process of building your short-term rental portfolio, or you're at least thinking about it. If you're not, maybe you should be. It's it's not to... I don't like telling people to chase shiny objects, but I don't think this is a shiny object. I think it's a legitimate uh, avenue for really great revenue in in, uh, in the um, real estate world. So you it's something you should at least be thinking about or be aware of. And Rachel's a great person to bring that to the show. She really is successful in that area. Uh, and she has a great backstory. She was born in Haiti and raised in Miami and eventually became a doctor and had like half a million dollars in student loans. And so she was trying to figure out how to pay that off and was working her butt off. And then she found Air uh, BNB short-term rentals specifically, and it became a game changer for her. And uh, she actually announced on the show that she just retired from being a doctor. So that's new. And uh, short-term rentals allowed her to pay off her debt and retire from being a doctor. So you can imagine how successful she is in this. And she's only started just a few years ago. It wasn't like she's been doing this for a decade. Um, she is relatively new to the game. She has been featured on Netflix and she's just about helping people. And she is a self-described data nerd. Uh, which means she had a lot of info to drop on us. And she did. It was a fun episode, guys. I think you're going to like this one. And I really think if you're at all interested in short-term rentals on any level, this is the episode for you. You need to pay attention. And so I'm not going to waste any more time talking about it. I'm going to dive right into it. Here we go with Dr. Rachel Gainsborough. All right, Rachel, thank you for being on the show. I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, Mike, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. I so appreciate the content that you're putting out here to this community. And I cannot tell you how excited I'm here to be with you today. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Good. I feel the same way. I'm really excited. Um, you know, having a podcast like this and have, having done it so long and talked to so many people, I, I'm to the point now where I sort of cherry pick who I interview based sometimes off of my particular personal interest in what I'm interested in at the moment. And I think it does two things. It scratches my itch and it gets some some information into my head that I want. But also I think it makes for a better interview when I am just genuinely interested and want to talk about the subject matter. Um, so this is definitely one of those things. And, and I'm excited to have you here, like I said, and you are an absolute expert in the area. And um, I just can't wait to talk about short-term rentals. This is gonna be fun. Oh, yeah. And who doesn't love short-term rentals, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I know. It's like the whole world does, it seems like right now. So it's going to be a blast. Uh, I, I did read your bio, obviously, but can you just give us, in your own words, just to summarize sort of where you come from and how you arrived at short-term rentals? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I am a data nerd. I love numbers. Numbers are my jam, but financial literacy was not a part of that equation early on. Learned some hard lessons after graduate school, went on, got my doctorate, all the bells and whistles, but that crushing debt was painful. Once I got rid of it, though, I decided, you know what? My husband and I, we were looking to get into real estate. We turned all the stones, multifamily syndications, uh, long-term rentals, uh, industrial, commercial, um, just all, we turn all the stones. But when we found short-term rentals, we looked at it again and again and again. And I kid you not, those numbers, you can't unsee those numbers. Yeah. And that's really what got us into short-term rental investing. Totally. All right. So I'll, I'll just give you the, the because I told you before we went live here that you were going to be a little bit of a therapist for me. Um, and this is an <laughs> embarrassing admission for me when you're on a show called Just Start Real Estate, right? The, the assumption here is that the host just starts, just goes, right? There's no hesitation. And that's typically how I operate. I'm, I'm an all gas, no break kind of a guy. Um, but last late last year, uh, I have daughters that are adults now. I, late last year, uh, my daughter, one of my daughters, came to me and said, "Dad, I want to, I want to start investing in short-term rentals. I'm interested. Would you be interested in helping me with that?" And I said, "You know what? I've sort of had this in the back of my brain that I, I want to get into that world. I've got a lot going on, but." I'll tell you what, why don't we do this? Why don't we partner and do it as a uh, father-daughter thing? That would be really great and give me a lot more you know, satisfaction than just doing it for myself. And she's like, great. So we had a meeting to decide division of labor. How are we going to do this so we're not being redundant and there's nothing missed? And we got this all worked out. And it, as it turned out, one of my jobs in this new business was to locate and Ooh. acquire the properties. And um, and we decided this in, in January. And as we speak right now, it's May 3rd. And I have yet gotcha. to do that. Now, I can give you a thousand excuses. However, <laughs> uh, what I think I've come to is, is I'm not prioritizing it, number one. Number two, my normal all gas, no break is fine when it's me. But I think I'm hesitating because it's sort of like I'm driving a race car with my daughter in it and I'm not going as fast as I should. I'm not taking the, mm -hmm. the turns the way I should. And I think I'm I'm hesitating because I'm nervous to make this a bad experience for her. And, and maybe that's another gotcha. excuse. However, I, I just can't wait to talk to you about this because here are some limiting things, right? Here's some things that I'm wrestling with. I live in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And it, it, technically, it's considered the metro Detroit market, which is like, you know, three huge counties. It's all southeast Michigan. It's this whole area, right? I'm not in Florida. I'm not in California. I'm not in Aspen. Like, th this is not... And I know you talk a lot about luxury and vacation rentals. And I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth and you can stop me anytime you want. But your philosophy is... I'm sort of paraphrasing, but don't own 20 properties that make a little bit of money, own five properties that make a lot of money, right? Yeah. And so absolutely. my limiting belief is I'm here in Michigan. There, There isn't that... Nobody comes to Michigan to to vacation, right? It's not like a destination like that. And and so my thought has always been, I am going to have a bunch of these, these short-term rentals that sort of make good money, not great, and it'll be a, a volume thing. But I know that's not the way you really look at it. So... How do you do this living in Michigan? Like, how do you create this 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 company that has these luxury short term rentals, and and do it when you're not in the market? Ooh, I love this question, and this is totally my wheelhouse. So, I will tell you a good portion of my portfolio is within communities where uh, we do see travelers, not necessarily for vacation purposes, but primarily for business purposes. So if I'm in suburbia of Georgia, well, who's coming to the suburban areas of Georgia? And I'm not talking about big city Atlanta, right? So yeah. you would you would imagine um, the use cases for short-term rentals. So there are over 70 use cases for short-term rentals. I will tell you in this particular market, 
My primary guest avatar are individuals whose homes they're displaced from due to some type of a disaster. Say they need a temporary housing because their home caught on fire, because there's a flood. You're in real estate, Mike. You know that the repairs and renovations, it's not going to be two weeks. It's not going to be a month. It may be six months to a year. Are you going to put a family of five, six, or 10 in a hotel for a year? So where do they go? Well, I house them. And so that is a huge use case. I am a provider for a lot of these insurance companies who are looking to place these families in a home that is similar to their normal standard of a living, so to speak. And that's only one. I'm just covering one out of the 70 use cases. This is outside of vacation rental yeah. markets. So, all right. So then let me ask, and I'm, and again, you can say, I don't want to answer that question. It's totally fine, yeah. but I'm just going to go where my brain leads me. So how, what percentage of your portfolio is actually luxury short-term rentals versus functional or like sort of normal houses in suburbia where you rent them to somebody who had their house burned down or something? I love that question. And so I think I'm going to kind of backtrack it a little bit. So let's define what luxury is in terms of modern luxury. So these are homes that I set up um, with a modern luxury experience. I was not, you know, the smart girl in the room expecting to be uh, hosting a number of insurance clients or insurance guests. I was actually um, intending to host, I don't know if you know, Georgia's called Yollywood or Hollywood of the South now, okay. you know, executives and actors. And, and that's really what these homes were set up for. Okay. So those were the avatars that I was targeting. Um, I do host some of them as well, but these insurance guests, they take up the majority of the calendar because it takes that long for these properties to get renovated. So here's the difference between modern luxury and traditional luxury. Traditional luxury is, um, say, a home that may have the golden toilets, the golden, you know, doorknobs. That is not really what the modern luxury traveler is looking for. Okay. Modern luxury travelers are really looking for an experience. It gives them an opportunity to really live like a local. They want a unique experience. They want Mm. to stay in a space where there's convenience. And I, I like to call it like my three C's convenience connection. And I forget the other C obviously because I'm nervous, but (laughs) But they want to connect with one another. They want to connect with nature. And if you can curate a space that is absolutely lovely with the design, you can curate a space that is allowing them to connect with one another. The, um, you know, extremely clean, the check-in is easy and convenient. Those are, I would say, some of the precursors for luxury stay. And of course, there are other amenities I add to these properties to up-level it a bit to make it even more luxurious. Uh, Neighborhoods do matter. Um, The curb appeal does matter. You want to be in areas with you know, B plus, A plus schools. Those are some of the things that we target uh, in order to start setting up these properties. Because again, what we're finding is those uh, homeowners who are displaced from their homes due to a disaster, tornado, hurricane, they're looking for a like kind of home to be placed into to continue. Okay. So, So my question then would be, all right, so let's just say this family gets displaced for some mm-hmm. sort of a catastrophe, right? They live in a, I don't know what the what the median home price is where you are, but let's just say they live in a, like a um, middle class to middle low, lower class house. Are you going to put them in one of your like upper middle or, or higher level? You know what I mean? Like how, how, so it sounds like, and I'm just, just thinking here. It just sounds like your houses, when you say luxury, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a $3 million villa on the beach. It's the experience and the amenities and things like that. It's not necessarily the cost of the house. Right. But it is going to be, for instance, if there, it could be anywhere from 300,000, 500,000 in, um, you know, a plus B plus school in a Georgia market, yeah. like in New York, that's going to give you yeah. <laughs> nothing, right? Exactly. Probably, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. But in Georgia, you know, that's going to give you a really nice home. Yeah, you know, three hundred, four hundred thousand. I mean, prices have gone up twenty twenty two, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm learning, and I hope the insurance people aren't listening to me, is that the um, short term rental housing allotment is about twenty five percent of the individual's home value. So if your home is worth 400,000 
you have $100,000 worth of short-term rental dollars you can come and spend with me. Really? That's the formula they use? Yes. All right. This, you know, I get you a do million the downloads per. No, I don't. I don't get a million downloads. Um, so that's interesting. So it's a twenty five percent of the value of the house is what they'll spend per year housing those folks to keep them in per the year per claim. So they have twelve months to spend that. So say they stay with me for ten months, they have a hundred thousand to spend during the that period of time. Say it's six months, they have a hundred thousand to spend during that period of time. Interesting. So, all right, let me ask you then, because I know you teach this, right? You have students. Mm-hmm. What, how much, how many of your students or what, like what percentage of the short-term world in your experience can be typical houses in typical neighborhoods versus the house in the mountains by the ski resort and the house on the beach? You know what I'm saying? Like, I live in Michigan. It's a very like, you know, shrug kind of an area. It's like, no, who cares really? But there is a lot of business, obviously, automotive capital of the world. And, you know, we have things going on. How how much are you focused on being near that action as opposed to just being in a regular neighborhood? Because people's houses burn down. They don't need to be on the slopes of Aspen. They just need a house that's relatively yeah. close to where they live. And so it would, like common sense now is would tell me that you would tell someone, you don't look for some highly unique house. You just, a house with a nice, with a good appeal and and amenities and things like that, like that will work. So is that a limiting belief that you hear with people? Like, I can't, I don't, I don't know if I can get that house on the beach. All we have is normal houses, normal neighborhoods, normal cities, nothing, nothing particularly interesting. Is that a, is that a hurdle that people have to overcome or is that a real challenge or a perceived challenge? Yeah, it's definitely um, a conversation that we have throughout the whole roadmap. Because first of all, I believe in start where you're at, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, I have students who have budgets of two hundred thousand, and others who have budgets of two point two million. Well, if you have a budget of two point two million, let's explore some things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have a budget of two hundred thousand, we can look at it, you know. And if you want to be unique, guess what? A frames and tiny houses are crushing. Did you see that wagon? A wagon. That's making $200 a night, a wagon, like a straight up wagon. It's like, seriously? So there are really weird things out there that are absolutely crushing the space. But if you want an asset like a single family home, which, you know, in your own backyard, yeah, let's explore that. So the first step, of course, is to look at the regulations, make sure that you're in an area where it's permissible. And we go through the whole roadmap of doing that research. Um, I'm not a big HOA girl, you know, so I'm like, just say no to HOAs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no offense, HOA people. I know you're yeah. out there. No, they're but... awful. You're right. They're awful. <laughs> so, okay, let me ask yeah. you this then. So uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about those regulations. Uh, I've sure. heard a couple of, th- I mean, there's a, we could probably talk about that for an hour, but let me just ask you mm-hmm. two, two big questions here. Number one, yeah. what, what's the, what's the, um, um, you know, what's the short version of how do we find out what the regulations are? And the second, question. The second part of that question is, I've heard from other people in this space that you don't really want to be in an area that doesn't have regulations because they're coming. Should you look for someplace that has an established, uh, you know, regulation or set of regulations around short-term rentals? So how do you find out the regulations and do you want regulations? Yeah. So yes and yes. So how we find it out is you can actually do a Google search and you look specifically for short-term rental ordinance. That's your keyword ordinance of um, in Detroit, Michigan, for instance. And what you're looking for is a government type of site municipality code. You're not looking at the, for the razzmatazz, Airbnb shootouts or anything crazy like that. You're looking for the actual municipality codes. And what you want to understand is regulations come in so many shapes and sizes. It's going to depending depend on the zone for that particular property in some uh, townships. It's going to depend on um, uh, maybe getting a permit, which is not very difficult to do in many places. And I'm all for it. I'm definitely interested in something like that. So there's commercial versus residential. You need to understand the zone that that property is located in. But even before looking at regulations, I know we said it again, but I'm going to 
belabor it, HOAs, they trump any regulations, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so the only way you will find this girl in an HOA community, I have two caveats, is if it's a resort community and the dollars that I'm spending on a monthly basis for HOA is going towards like fancy swimming pool and boat slip and all of that stuff. And we do have those types of properties as well in the vacation rental markets. That needs to be the purpose of my HOA dollars, not necessarily people just sitting around talking. That's caveat number one. Caveat number two is I want more than 50% of the properties owned in that location to be short-term rentals. Otherwise, I'm not interested because I'm not getting outvoted. So those are my two caveats. But HOAs will trump any regulations from city, county, state. So be sure to avoid it at all costs if you're not in a resort community and if more than 50% of the properties are not HOA. So if you look up short-term rental ordinance of such and such city, such and such county, you're looking for the Municode or municipality code. Read through that bad boy and understand where the property that you're interested in um, will land. The second thing is, if it is not clear to you, Give your county clerk's office a call. Say, hey, I'm Mike. I would like to know the short-term rental ordinance for such and such a city, such and such a county. And then they should be able to lead you along. And if they say, well, there's nothing, ask them, what is there in draft, right? Mm. You want to know what's in the draft phases because they're about to vote on something most gotcha. likely. <laughs> that makes sense. Let me ask yeah. you this, um, because again, I, I when I look at your uh, website and all your stuff, it's there's a lot of uh, the word luxury in the language a lot, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So do you have, and I don't want to dumb this down to a, a, something that you don't actually do, but I want to just kind of talk about this philosophically. Do you have a, either a profit threshold per property or some sort of a percentage of the cost of the house, some ROI? How... What what makes you use the word luxury? What does that mean other than the amenities maybe are great? But you also talk about not having a ton of properties, have a bunch or a few that make a lot of money. So wh- how do you, what's your criteria for saying yes to a property and in and using it as a short-term rental? Yeah. So if we wanted to define luxury from just a nightly rate perspective, let me just give you a little bit of perspective there, and then I'll give you some of my criteria. Um, Each market is going to be different, right? If Mm -hmm. I go to Aspen and I tell you my nightly rate is $200, well, that's not going to give you much in Aspen or Breckenridge, right? But in somewhere like rural Georgia, it may be quite nice. If I go to Europe, it's not going to be the same. So nightly rate for luxury is not going to be um, $30 a night. Our properties range anywhere from $700 to $2,500 per night. What? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. let me ask you this then. What is what is the range of cost of your properties, if you don't mind my asking? The range of costs, our purchase price now, we purchased the vast majority from 2019 to 21. Okay. We went under contract here in 22. Um, the purchase price was 175k to 462k up until end of last year we did um, secure one for 1.3 a 16 bedroom for 1.3 okay. million in the Poconos okay so, so your 400 and whatever you said um thousand dollar property w- w- what would you expect that to make per night is that in the 2500 dollars range or is that somewhere about eighteen hundred to twenty five hundred, depending on the peak seasons. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. What, what what state are we talking? Are we in Georgia right now? Are we talking about Georgia? This or is some other state? this is this is in Georgia. There was one that's three eighty in the Poconos of Pennsylvania, where we get travelers from Connecticut, New York. Um, okay. Pennsylvania. So, so how many mountain indoor pool? Wow. So how much renovation are you doing to properties typically when you buy them? Are you buying houses that need a lot of work and getting them at a discount or are you buying them retail? How's that look? I only purchased one that needed about $80,000 worth of work. Okay. So the rest uh, needs something. Um, I put on a roof on one and removed um, carpet. So about 30K, 30K to 40K, no more than that. Okay. How are you finding properties typically? What's your go-to methods for finding properties? 
Uh, believe it or not, the MLS. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that, honestly. You know, it's always the worst when they say, oh, I've got this guy and he exclusively sends me. It's like, that doesn't help me, right? So the, yeah. you are finding properties in 2022 on the MLS that make sense. They pencil out for profitability-wise and ROI. Okay. They do because, again, I'm I'm now looking for a little bit of bigger and better. So mm-hmm. it's still making sense for me okay. because I feel as though I'm a little bit more niche. I know how to handle these larger homes. A lot of uh, my competition are a little bit intimidated by these homes. Sure. But this is my blue ocean, right? This is where I swim. This is my playground. Yeah. Let's I'm talk not... about that, the blue ocean. Sure. I know you mentioned that. What do you mean yeah. by, I know what blue ocean means and probably a lot of people do, but for the people who don't, explain to them yeah. what that means in terms of short-term rentals. In terms of short-term rentals, you're going to encounter a lot of different strategies, whether it's co-hosting, arbitrage, purchasing and owning. So the lease-to-lease method is one that a lot of people are talking about. It's hot. You know, you go into an apartment or you lease from a landlord and then you lease it back out. They're usually looking at two bedrooms. You know, I hear oftentimes do not get anything bigger than the three bedroom because you're going to um, incite a party. You're going to, you know, end up having some kind of crazy rager at your house. Well, I won't look at anything less than a five bedroom. I will not look at anything less than five bedroom. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm living in the blue ocean. No one wants to play around with me. And they, they ask me question, well, what if your, your guests, what if they stay greater than 30 days and they want to get tenants rights and all this stuff as they have at it, executive director of, you know, Marvel movies, you know, you want to stay an extra six months, you go right ahead, but you're getting charged. So it's a whole different um, avatar. It's a whole different demographic. I'm dealing with a little bit, not a little bit, but a significantly different uh, demographic for sure. So the worries of, you know, the ragers, the worries of damages, I'm not as worried because I do have the $5,000 damage deposit. Hello. Oh, wow. And the big (laughs) house is 5,000. Yeah. Right. Yes. To start. And then, you know, if you want to misbehave, we'll, we'll, we'll come and, we'll come and get it, you know? Right. So I love it. So nothing less than five bedrooms. Now, what do you tell your students? Do you give them the same advice? Or I, I assume everyone comes in with a different financial outlook and how they can do things. Do you still think that a two bedroom or one bedroom can make sense for people? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm always telling my students, how do you peacock from the crowd? How do you stand out from the crowd? What are you going to do with your property? I don't care if you're in a condo with 8,000 other units. How do you stand out in the crowd? What is your value proposition? What can we do with your design? And so part of my course is I do have a designer on my team that will create some kind of fun theme. We just launched one with a student with a one bedroom on Miramar Beach. It's the cutest um, retro vibe, beachy vibe. No one else is doing that, you know, in that community. And the beauty of short-term rentals and Airbnb, you can sit there and cyber stalk every single other listing to see what they're yeah. doing. You're like, wow, this is boring. This looks like grandma designed it. How do you pop? How do you make yeah. yourself pop? Yeah. All right. You're 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 like starting to graze on things that I want to talk about. You're kind of hitting them a little <laughs> bit. So let's talk about one that's a big, big deal. And you did touch on this arbitrage versus own. Do you have both? Do you recommend both? Is one significantly better in your opinion? What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I do have both. I actually use all three models. Why not? Right. And that's something that I did not expect. But towards, I want to say the middle of 21, I was scraping along and itching for a deal. I was looking for my next deal. And my son came up to me. He was like, mom, he's 14. I want to buy a house and rent it out and have people pay me money. I was like, you want to do what? (laughs) So this is him just listening to me and my husband just go back and forth about it. And so he he found arbitrage somehow and he wanted to do a deal. And so he has three arbitrage, two bedrooms that... (laughs) <laughs> that I helped him set up. This 14-year-old has done it and I haven't done it yet. Now I really feel challenged. <laughs> Come on, Mike. <laughs> All right. So you said there's three models. Yeah. Arbitrage, own. Yeah. What's the third? 
It's co-hosting, which is similar to property management, depending on your whether or not you're a real, realtor. So I can't legally be a property manager. I'm not a okay, realtor, gotcha. but you can just kind of pair along with a, um, a landlord who wants to do it, but they're not quite tech savvy and they don't want to worry about just the communication. And you, and you do a rev share. I got you, you partner with them. Gotcha. You help them set it up and you do a revenue share. That's 15%, 20%, 30%, depending on your lift. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So that, that answers that you have both, um, Mm -hmm. in a, in a perfect world, or maybe that's not the right way to say it. If you had, okay, let's put it this way. If, if there was something, if you had to choose arbitrage versus own, and someone said you can only do one method the rest of your life, you can never do the other one, which would you pick? Own all day. Okay. Why? All day, every day. I have control over my assets. I'm a buy and hold girl. Okay. I have control. But say you're looking to scrape up a 20% down payment on a five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar home and you don't quite have it. Arbitrage is such a powerful cash flow play. Yeah. The cash flow is there if you're able to find, you know, a single family home that is rented like right at market. I'm not trying to pay a premium for rents. I, I would definitely be open to arbitraging if the market rent, you know, was reasonable so that I can have some some margin. But yeah. I'm everything that I make in arbitrage, everything that I make in co-hosting is going towards more revenue to own. It's yeah. all about owning for gotcha. me. Gotcha. That makes sense. What's the biggest challenge that you have found with the arbitrage model when it comes to, and I'm doing air quotes, convincing the homeowner to let you do this? How transparent are you about what you're going to do? And what are the objections that they have most often and how do you overcome those? Let me speak from the perspective of my mentees and my students, because I'm Thankfully, at a point where they come to me, you know, once you start to gain a reputation, I'm the luxury short-term rental girl. Landlords come to me to hand off their property. So I don't do any convincing at this point. Yeah. So, and I've never had to convince. If I want a property, I go in, I, I make myself known in my marketplace of what I can do, what I offer. And, and you know, just being a part of RIAs, being a part of, you know, associations where Mm -hmm. you're always dealing with landlords and you yourself, you're a landlord, it puts you in a different um, light and you you tend to have a bit of a swagger because I'm at the point in my life is I'm not going to do anything I don't enjoy. And so that's that's where I'm at. But what the biggest struggle that I've seen is when um, my mentee, they go in and they're trying to convince because here's the deal. As the tenant, you are the absolute best tenant that a landlord could ever wish for yeah. because you're going to pay on time, right? By the 28th or the 29th, you're going to pay early. Yep. That's what I tell my students. You're going to pay early. Yep. <laughs> you're going to have that property showroom ready um, you know, at all times. Otherwise, you're not in business. And so expressing to the landlord, um, first of all, you don't go in there saying, hey, I'm trying to run an Airbnb. What do they know about Airbnb? All the bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's all they know. So you go in, you know, you let them know who you are. You drop your business name, have a business, have a little website, have a pamphlet, come in correct, come in dress appropriately so that they know you're making a deal. And I do recommend meeting in person if you can. I know that you know there's some back and forth with that with COVID, but meeting in person if you can and connecting with them eye to eye and let them know who it is that you serve. Right. And then speak to their pain points. I serve travelers coming into the area to work at and name drop the hospital. If you have those connections, Piedmont Hospital, you know, I know such and such charge nurse. She oftentimes is looking for assistance. So I do house nurses in the area or I work with all state insurance whenever there's a family who's in need. You know, I help to house uh, those families. There was, did you remember the fire across the street? Yeah, that family, we helped them start dropping use cases of individuals that you have served. Give them, paint that picture of who it is that you're serving and then start speaking to their pain points. These are families. They want to know that their place is going to be taken care of. Right. And it's not going to be trashed and they want to know they're going to get paid on time for the most part. And of course, insurance, make sure that you have the insurance in place. Totally. I love that. That's awesome. Um, You mentioned condos a couple of times. Is that, is that a viable option? Uh, Having just a condo and a, in a huge condo, you know, a lot of condos look like apartments, right? But they're condos. Like, 
I've heard of people saying, hey, I've got like five or eight units in this hundred, you know, unit condo area. Is that, does that make sense? Do you advise people to do that? Do you steer them away from this, like basically this space inside of this great big building that sort of doesn't feel awesome maybe to everybody? It feels a little bit like an apartment. Is that a viable option for short-term rentals? You know what? I... I would not buy a condo personally um, because one of the things that I like to offer from a luxury perspective is the uniqueness of my experience. Mm-hmm. And if I'm competing against three, 400 other units that are in the same, they're sharing these same four walls. Well, how unique can I really be? Right. Sure. Yeah. It's not going to be easy to be that unique, yep. but in this current economy, I have a student that just purchased the cutest little condo that is pretty much beachfront. I mean, with views like that, you know, so what is the value proposition? I have to see something like that. That right there was definitely something that I said, yeah, this could be something great. And as soon as it got listed, it was bing, 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 booked, booked and booked. And so they're catering to couples, young couples. They just had their first baby and it's just the cutest. We call it, they named it Flirty Flamingo, just the cutest condo with the most beautiful rug with a flamingo on it. Just, you know, so when you have something like that, yes. However, here's what I've seen. And here's a cautionary tale for those who are taking down five to 10 um, apartment units. And and I see this all the time. This, This really makes me cringe because I have students who come to me with these situations where the the monthly rent is $2,200, $2,500 a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. In these big cities, I know they're near a stadium, but there's a horrible race to the bottom with these because say someone panics within that um, apartment building and they drop their price to $50, $60 a night. Well, how can you justify $200, $250 a night when right. someone's there's so much in between there, you know, that it makes it difficult. And so my biggest concern is, are you going to be able to make your rent? Are you going to be able to make your, you know, bills? If you're going to be competing with those who may be panic basses is what my husband called me something. Don't be a panic bass. And they (laughs) drop their price so low because they don't have the bookings. And if you don't have bookings, there are 18 other levers you can pull. Don't just start dropping your prices. But that takes work and that takes paying attention to your listing and paying attention to your guest needs. Absolutely. Okay. A couple of quick things I want to hit before we (laughs) end here, because I think it would be a huge miss if I didn't. Number one, what is your... Okay. So when people are looking at a property and they say, okay, here's a property in a town. I think I can make this a unique experience. It's a cute little house, great curb appeal. Um, But I want to do my due diligence to see yeah. will this make sense from a dollars and cents right does it does it look like a good business opportunity what and i don't want to like lead you too much but what software what services where do you go to find reliable information about how much what's the vacancy rate you can expect what is the cost mm-hmm. per night that you can charge do you go to multiple places do you have one go to place how do you mm-hmm vet these properties financially? I'm so glad you asked that question, Mike. And you know what? It ties back with something I wanted to mention a little bit earlier. I didn't get a chance to mention it. So when you ask, who wants to go to Michigan, right? So I have five industries that I really believe in when you're looking in a suburban market and you don't know if anyone wants to go to that market. If your property is within 30 minutes from an airport, a university, a hotel, a hospital, or some kind of major industry, you have an opportunity for a short-term rental, okay? Because these are places that individuals are coming to stay on a temporary basis. Say there's a military base. That's another one, right? There's, you know, like I said, Yollywood, Hollywood of the South. There's the Tesla plant or some, you know, machine plant. Those are places that people are often traveling to and they need temporary housing. So with that being said, a metric that I'm always looking at is an occupancy rate metric. And I utilize a tool called AirDNA. Mm -hmm. And if you do a search, a Google search for the AirDNA rentalizer, Mm -hmm. you can put in the address, the number of bedrooms of a property. Just pick a property from Zillow or uh, Realtor.com. The number of bathrooms in my rule of thumb is three to four guests per bathroom. So the number of bathrooms and then the guest count. Mm -hmm. 
Once you put that in, you will get some numbers. It will spew out some numbers, the annual revenue, the average daily rate. I do not care about any of those numbers because I demand my own pricing based on what I add to a property. What I care about is the occupancy rate, the occupancy rate. And I want that to be 50% or higher. Okay. Okay. If it is 49%, I can still make do, but if it's 30%, absolutely no, we are not. That is called a high-risk investment. We are not going into this market because it tells me that no one's coming to this area. Barely anyone's coming to this area. So occupancy rate gives me travel bureau type of information. How many travelers are really coming to that area? The second thing I do is I actually use another tool called data.rabu com data rabu and I use that to like get a little bit more zoomed into that property to see all the properties within 0.1 miles how they're performing in the last 30 days in mm-hmm. the next 90 days and how they're performing on a seasonality perspective yeah. and that starts to give me the picture because I'm looking for at least 30% cash on cash return um, 30% plus gross revenue those are my numbers those are the things that I'm most interested in other than that, I'm not as excited. Gotcha. Now, you said, I understand the occupancy rate being very critical to you. And you said you basically disregard the the, the price per night that you see in like air DNA. But do you have a threshold there? Like, for example, let's just say you find one and it's 60% occupancy. So you say, okay, good. That, that meets my criteria. You know that for it to be a win for you, you have to be charging at least $200 a night. Let's just ar- arbitrarily say that number. But air DNA is saying, $125 or even $95. At, at what point do you do you care about that number per night as it relates to the gap and what you feel like you need to charge to make that make sense? Unfortunately, that data on AirDNA is scraped in a way that I find it to be very inaccurate. I just, I don't, even the I don't occupancy even play rate, with though, it. or is the occupancy? The occupancy is good. good. Oh, okay. See, this, this is, is why pretty I good. To a data nerd. This is awesome. Yeah, the occupancy is pretty good. Okay. The average daily rate is not because you're looking at the average daily rate of all the properties in that market. Yeah. Right. And okay. so there are so many gaps there. There are so many issues with that number. Like I can do a whole class on why we can't necessarily necessarily trust the average daily rate. How do you know what you I mean, I understand you're gonna set your own rate, but there has to be something you're benchmarking so that you don't think you can charge eight hundred dollars when there's yeah. no way you'll get more than two hundred dollars, right? Like how do you even get in the ballpark? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, so data Rabu is okay. the tool that I use okay. to get a so little bit more zoomed in the daily rates. Okay. Yes, it is. And it doesn't it, like air, air DNA, they will add in the cleaning fees and things like that. Data Rabu doesn't, it, it scrapes it of the cleaning fees and you're seeing how much cash is collected okay. on this property last month. Okay. That's what I want to know. Oh, interesting. Right? Very Not interesting. my particular subject property, but the properties within 0.1 miles sure. away, 0.2 miles away. Okay. And then I'm looking for comps. So it's like, okay, this is similar to this. Okay. Oh, but it's missing this. Then I can start to tack on and remove. If this is has a crazy pool and mine doesn't, then I have yeah. to go a little lower. Yeah. So, so Data Rabu helps me to get a little bit more laser focused. Yeah, that's that's gold actually to know that yeah. your DNA cost per night is sort of not a great thing to pay attention to, but in data Rabu, it is. That, that's good. I didn't even know that. Like I've been analyzing and I'm sort of using them both equally when it comes to cost mm-hmm. per night. And I do see yeah. a difference, right? And there is frankly, a difference. usually data Rabu is better, frankly, but um, okay. That's good to know. It's really good to know. Okay. Yeah. Last question, uh, because I do want to respect <laughs> your time and I could, I could literally geek out on this all day and just go, Me oh, oh, Rachel. And I also have this question, right? I would do that all day, <laughs> but talk to me a little bit about uh, I know that you're not all about um, spending 80 hours a week managing your short-term rentals. You do work full-time still in the healthcare industry. Is that true, or is that is that well? Old that del- breaking news: I retired oh. in ah, February. What? You retired? <laughs> you're way too young to retire. I can tell you that. Can you believe that? But that's great. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But I still would suspect you don't plan on spending 80 hours a week managing your rentals. No. So, what software or what what um, you know what processes do you have in place to minimize mm-hmm. the amount of time you have to spend? Uh, managing your rentals. Okay. So, and let me drop a software for you too. So once I do that preliminary search with the pricing, and this is going to help 
answer that question as well. I then uh, engage a dynamic pricing tool. I utilize a tool called pricelabs.co. That's my dynamic pricing tool. So it prices my property on a day-to-day basis based on occupancy of other short-term rentals, um, occupancy of hotels, it kind of uh, events that are happening in the area that I may not have caught. So it'll price it for me on a day-to-day basis. So I utilize that tool and I just love that tool. You do have to train it. It uses AI, hmm. but I absolutely love it. And I do tweak it and I look at it from time to time. I do put in my floor pricing, but I leave my my ceiling wide open. Gotcha. So it can you can stop it from going too low. And so that's really important because pricing your property appropriately, if you do need to come down a little bit, you know, because there's vacancy, you know, and the goal is not to be 100% occupied. My yeah. goal is never to be 100% occupied. And that's where I am also the blue ocean. My goal is to be around 65 to 70% occupied. That's where I make my most money. When I'm 80% occupied, I start to lose money because my product diminishes. Mm-hmm. So I need that time to do my deep cleans, my pressure washing, and to just keep mm. the business going. So contrary to long-term rental, where we're going to be 100% occupied, yeah. you know, zero vacancy, I want my 30% vacancy. I'm okay. good to go there. That makes sense. And so that's, that's a big difference. So I use a dynamic pricing tool. I use something called a channel manager. And what that does is it keeps my calendar uh, Airbnb and VRBO. I utilize both Airbnb and VRBO. It deconflicts my calendar. So if someone books on Airbnb for May the 4th, <laughs> no one can book on VRBO on May the 4th. It will go into the VRBO calendar and block it off. So it deconflicts my calendar. What's it called again? And a channel manager. Is it? Are you saying like use a channel manager or that's the name, a channel manager? Um, a channel manager is a the umbrella name. The different products are Guesty, Hospitable, and there are others. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. So a channel manager, you're saying literally use use one, but it, mm-hmm. it's not called channel manager. It's that's just no, an umbrella. That's manager. a category. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I- that's another piece of software that I use. Other software, of course, are your remote um remote lock, like your keyless entry, Mm -hmm. you need some, someone to change that all the time where there's a way to do it remotely through the platforms so that each guest will get their own unique code. So this is all hours and hours of work you would be doing manually that there's software to help with that as well. Gotcha. Uh, Your noise monitoring Mm -hmm. um, software, you want to have that in certain properties to make sure that there's not a crazy disturbance. Someone didn't invite 27 cousins over and they're throwing a rager, you know, so there's a threshold. They'll get an app um, alert. Um, And of course, your exterior cameras, your exterior ring camera, those are all a part of it. And so that's important in terms of the software stack that I used. That's your basic software stack. You definitely want to have that in place. And as far as um, individuals helping you, your cleaning team will make or break your business. Okay. What Do is your, not get it quizzed. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. I No, I've heard that and you're absolutely right. And that's something that I, I sh- was failed to, to mention that I wanted to talk about. Um, quickly, what is your down and dirty like top tips for finding a good cleaning team? It depends on the market. And so if you're going to be in a rural market, a market that's very... Um, difficult to find a skilled labor. Right now we're in a time where skilled labor is very difficult. You're going to really have to depend on word of mouth. And I'm going to spill the tea for you, Mike, because I know you're always giving value. So what I've actually done (laughs) is I go into a market and I reach out to the top listings from individuals. So say I see a profile and it's such and such company. I'm not messing with them, but I see Mike, hosted by Mike. And then I look at your reviews and your cleaning reviews look great. Say, hey, Mike, my name is Rachel. I'm new to the area. And I make friends with you. And then I get your cleaning person. That is my goal is to get your cleaning person. And you will gladly share them with me because first of all, I'm going to be really nice and polite. (laughs) And oftentimes 
your cleaner may, you know, appreciate the extra work because if you're, you just have one or two properties, they're not going to be around the clock working, you know? So if you can refer to them, it then fosters that a good relationship. That that. is my go-to for a lot of my markets, especially the the markets where I'm having a hard time finding skilled laborers, but there's an app called turnover BNB, turnover BNB. I like that app a lot because you get to see the reviews that the cleaners receive from the hosts. So turnover BNB is a great one. And then of course, I don't know if you're familiar with Thumbtack. Yep. Yep. Thumbtack. Okay. You find cleaners there and then they're reviewed as well. Yeah. So, so Thumbtack is like Angie's list. It's just where you can find people to do various work for you online. So awesome. I find maintenance people there too. Cause you always need someone, a maintenance person totally. to help when issues Absolutely true. arise. Now, before we jumped on here live too, you told me about a project that you put considerable time and effort and cost into creating something for the listeners and not just my listeners, but you you do this, you've created this um, this asset, this this valuable thing for people. Can you talk about it and let them know how they can find it? Yeah. So the n- number one question I get asked, Mike, is where should I invest? Dr. Rachel, where should I invest? Where's the best places? And so I took a step back and I it, it takes me typically months to do this. I did this in 2021 and I decided I'm going to do it again in 2022. And it's going to be my thing year after year. And that is my goal. But I I created my top 75 US cities with the highest profitability. And so that is a spreadsheet. I have a little training video on that spreadsheet on how to read it. I know not everyone loves spreadsheets, but it it has over 75 this year, a US cities that you can take a look at for your short-term rentals. It has the number of short-term rentals within each city because there are small, medium, and large markets. Some cities have only 20 short-term rentals and some has a 30,000, like the Orlando market, you know, Um, it has the average home prices, short-term rental average home prices, not the average home prices for the home market, but the average home prices for the short-term rentals. It has the the rental demand. So that's for free. I love sharing this and you can get that by going to 75gems.com. That's the number 75gems.com. So easy. I love when people have very easy to say and hear and remember websites. So that's great. 75gems.com. We'll have all this in the show notes, guys. Obviously, Rachel, I cannot begin to tell you how happy I am that you came on and how forthcoming you were and transparent and just giving and just tons of knowledge you dropped on the listeners. And I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Um, I wish you nothing but success. You're amazing. I'd love to have you on in the future and kind of talk about what's happening in the market and with your business and kind of uh, see if we can do this again in the future. But for now, thank you very much. I wish you nothing but success. And and it's appreciate. Uh, I'm, I appreciate and it's been a pleasure to have you on. You too, Mike. And I look forward to talking to you about you just starting real estate on your short-term <laughs> rentals. So I, I cannot wait. <laughs> I'm putting it out there and shaming myself because I know that's effective for me. I don't like to be embarrassed. So uh, I will absolutely have great news for you next time we talk. And there'll be so much money flying in from that. And it will be in part <laughs> due to you and the analogy drop. So Aww. thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. All right. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that conversation. Like I said, I am interested in short-term rentals. I've been kind of circling the drain on that a little bit for a while. I need to get off my butt and get it going. So that was a fun conversation for me. Hopefully you guys got a lot out of it as well. Rachel really knows what she's talking about. I Honestly, I love talking to um, self-described uh, data nerds because I, I just feel like the information they're giving is not theoretical. It's, it's practical and it's researched. So go and check out out 75gems.com. That's where she talks about the 75 best cities to invest in short-term rentals. If that's something you're into, I know I'm going to go check it out. I can't wait to see that data and uh, get my business going on the short-term rental side because it is going to be exciting. I'm excited for it. And you guys should be excited for your business. Go out there and make it happen. Make today the best day. Go get it. We'll talk to you next time.